Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin. And today we are discussing Hostel from 2005, directed and written by Eli Roth, starring Jay Hernandez, Derek Richardson, and Ethor Goodjensen. If you're new to the show, we are going to talk spoiler-free for the first 15 or 20 minutes, so you're free to hang around if you haven't seen Hostel, and then after that, we'll take a little fake break and play some transition music, and that means we're getting into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen the movie, you might want to duck out at that point, but uh, I'm guessing there are some of you who don't intend to see this movie and plan to just listen to us talk about even the spoilers. Had you been putting this off? off Ashvin. Yeah, this is one I figured I'd never get around to seeing. It just has such a reputation around being this really like gory and, and torture heavy movie. So uh, yeah, hadn't seen it, didn't have a plan to. What, what about you? I, yeah, I'd been putting it off, but I always knew one day I would get around to it. And it seems like the uh, first episode of the year feels like an appropriate time to get right down to business. Here. <laughs> just embrace torture porn. <laughs> yeah. To it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, start the new year with a bang. Right. <laughs> um, you're, are you, you're not a fan of that genre overall, like the whole splatter uh, torture porn thing, are you? I don't even know anymore, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, <laughs> Who are my we My gut now? instinct is no. Yeah. Um, but, spoiler for my review, this movie isn't quite what I thought it would be. It's, I mean, it is, but we've seen so much that this didn't, smack me on the face as hard as I expected it to. Yeah, there are definitely some films that, films I think we've seen that have prepared us for this moment. Uh, yes, and, for yeah. sure. A lot of that, like like the French extremism, I, I feel like the, those have been pretty brutal for us. Yeah, they have. I mean, if you've seen Inside and Martyrs, then Hostel is not, it's no like walk in the park, but you can, you know, it's right. nothing new. Right, right. Um, but it is the movie that, caused the term torture porn to come into existence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This guy named David Edelstein of New York Magazine came up with the term torture porn in an article that he wrote for New York Magazine in 2006 after he saw Hostel. And in the article, he mentions Wolf Creek, Saw, The Devil's Rejects, and even The Passion of the Christ, which was an interesting point. Wow. Um, In this new trend in major wide releases that he was seeing. Um, and one way he differentiates this group of films from other violent films in the 70s and 80s is that the characters aren't just interchangeable and expendable like in a typical slasher movie, but they're characters with actual human emotions, um, and they may not get the better of the villain in the end. You know, it may not be like the final girl uh, bests the villain in the end, and, and it's more nihilistic than that. Um yeah, he draws parallels to the post-9-11 debate about torture and the pictures we were seeing in the news at that time of uh, supposedly decent Americans torturing people at Abu Ghraib. His words, not mine, supposedly decent Americans. Um, so yeah, that's that's where the term came from, and those are the movies that were in that first article mentioning the term, and I think since then people have put various other movies into that category, whether or not they fit. I think any movie where you see someone get tortured, you you think torture porn, but I think it's very visceral violence and actually really seeing a person suffer. Like the suffering itself is a an integral part of the film. I think that's that's the key for me. Mm, yeah, that definitely is Passion of the Christ. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. I mean, that's a good point, man. I, I, I've never seen The Passion of the Christ, but from what I've heard, it uh, <laughs> it sounds like it fits. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, that's so interesting. And uh, it, it is, uh, what do you think it was specifically about this film that had that guy come out and, and coin that phrase, given like a lot of those other films came out before this one? I think that this one specifically had torture chambers in it, you know? I mean, this was the most front and center torture, aside from probably the Passion of the Christ, I mean, in terms of what you think when you think of the word torture. So mm-hmm. I think that this had just... And this was on the later half of some films that were similar in theme. Like, you know, Saw was back in... I want to say that was 2001, Um Devil's yeah, Rejects, two thousand four, maybe. Um, 
so yeah, I, I right. think he needed this trend in order to to put this name to it. Sure. Yeah, you got to have a few. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that that's it's kind of interesting to put Saw in that category. I I just uh, like looking back. I mean, yeah, you have some really gory kills where like yeah the the main characters or whatever are tortured, but um, I, I feel like these films were like very specific in terms of having like two or three main characters that are like the brunt of the like the, yeah a good portion of the movie is is them like just being tortured. I I don't remember Saw being as much like on one character's torture. Do, do you remember that? Uh, no, I don't, but I've forgotten a lot about Saw, and I think its sequels maybe delved even deeper into that territory oh, okay. than others. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, um, actually another group of, well, this is kind of unrelated, um, it's not necessarily torture porn, but Alan Jones, a critic from Total Film Magazine, created a term called the Splat Pack for a group of directors making ultra-violent horror movies in the early right. aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, Eli Roth is one of them. But then he also put Alexandra Aja in there for High Tension, The Hills Have Eyes, Piranha 3D, Darren Lynn Bozeman for the Saw sequels. That's what got me to this point. Yeah. Neil Marshall, who did Dog Soldiers and The Descent. Greg McLean, who did Wolf Creek, Robert Rodriguez, who did Planet Terror and Machete, James Wan and Lee Wanell, simply for Saw, pretty much, Rob Zombie and Adam Green, who did the Hatchet franchise. Mm. So I think it was a general trend of ultra-violent horror films in that time. But those movies, some of those are kind of tortury, but there's a uh, that's a wide... Uh, selection of horror movies that many of those are quite far far from torture. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a wide genre. Yeah. Uh, what one big difference though? I, I think when you look at uh, are a lot of those films American. High tension, I, I don't think is right. High tension is a French film. Okay. Uh, I was I was gonna say like uh, French extremism in like the movies we've seen like uh, it was at Inside and, and Martyrs. Right. Yeah. Um, in those films where you have gore and torture, it's really dark and like very realistic. And in some of like Eli Roth's work, and I, I don't know about some of the other ones, but there does seem to be kind of like a dark comedy with it, or like how um, gory it becomes. Like the uh, yeah, it's kind of like like the splatter and maybe like a little bit of slapstick in a way. Um, yes. do, do you sense like a difference there? Yeah, I'm. That was what made Hostel easier to watch for me than I expected it to be. Uh, it yeah. definitely has a dark comedy to it and splatstick moments for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's deliberately. I think it's deliberate. I think that tone is very deliberate. Um, so it's it's easier to watch. It doesn't really have the same sense of nihilism as those French movies. Right. Right. Yeah. I was, I was glad to see that. I was kind of expecting that going into it that it that wouldn't kind of fit those tonally, but I was glad it didn't. Yeah. I mean, it's gross and it's hard to watch at many points, but it's it's <laughs> it doesn't it's no martyrs, it's no inside. Yeah, thankfully. Um, so yeah, Eli Roth clearly has made a name for himself in horror. His first feature was Cabin Fe- Cabin Fever, two thousand three. We reviewed that on the show a couple of years ago, and Hostel was his second feature in two thousand five, followed by Hostel Part Two in two thousand seven. He's got The Green Inferno from 2013. We also reviewed that one. Um, an erotic thriller called Knock Knock in 2015 with Keanu Reeves. And then some various other titles. And he even went on to do kind of a horror for kids movie with The House with a Clock in Its Walls starring Jack Black. Yeah, he's kind of all over the place now. Yeah, yeah. And he's doing an upcoming Borderlands movie based on the video game series of the same name. Cool. Cool. Um, man, I really want to see Knock Knock. Have you seen that? No, but I am curious about that. I think I will eventually check that off my list. Yeah, it's just the premise is, is like looks hilarious. It's got Keanu Reeves, uh, Anna from uh, or Anna from um, Knives Out, uh, and one yeah, Anna Darmus. Yeah, right. And yeah, and the movie. woman who Eli Roth was briefly married to—I say briefly—I I think it was like five years—who started oh, the Green yeah. Inferno was also in that. Right. Can't yeah, her yeah name. she's the other one. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, and and uh, this, uh, I, it sounds like he had the opportunity to do, af- after Kevin Fever, he was like getting offered to do like a remake of The Last House on the Left, Fog, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, but Quentin Tarantino kind of took him under his wing and 
uh, encouraged him to do his own film, which is, which is kind of cool. Yes, Tarantino loved Cabin Fever and put it in his top 10 movies of that year or whatever, and he was an executive producer on Hostel. So yeah, yeah. They, they're definitely close, and um, and Eli Roth had an acting role in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, right. Yep. Yeah. Prominent role there. Um, and Eli Roth, I think we'll talk more about this as we get into the review. Not only is he controversial for his violence in films, but uh, for using a lot of homophobic language, especially in this film. Um, it's kind of hard to watch the first half of this movie in 2021, not for any violence reasons, but just for the language use. It's just kind of surprising. It is. It is. But I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, uh, I couldn't tell going through it if it was a, a commentary on like American culture back then or like tourism culture. Uh, or yeah, if he was just kind of tone deaf and putting it in there. So uh, it, it's controversy like now to watch it. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Versus, yeah. yeah. Uh, at the time, not many people were even bringing that up. Right. Right. Yeah. Somebody yeah, did write a letter into Fangoria about it, and Eli Roth responded to it um, in, a, in a response that probably doesn't age very well. Um, I mean, his excuse was that this is how people talked, like this is how a college kid touring Europe, that's how that character would have talked. <laughs> but he was also kind of peppered in his response with, you know, grow up and yeah. don't be offended by it and stuff like that. So Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. a little bit of a mixed bag here. Um Sure. But if you yeah. listen to Eli Roth talk, like one second you're like he's kind of a bro, but on the other hand, he's he's really knowledgeable. He, I understand where he's coming from as an artist. I, I want to dislike him and be angry at him, but I I don't. I I think he's, I mean, he means well. I don't. He's definitely not politically correct. He shoves things in someone's face. I don't think there's any like negative intent behind the things he does. He's got a good heart. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> it comes from a no, good place. No, I, I shouldn't go that far. I, all I'm saying is 2021, Brian wants to be like, oh, this guy's an asshole. Write him off. But, uh, yeah. you know, more complicated than that. I, I, I feel a lot of that about Quentin Tarantino. Like, it's hard to see some of his work or his name without cringing a little bit. But uh, Eli Roth, uh, I, I didn't know much about him, so it sounds like you've seen more videos. But, uh, I, yeah, that watching this film, yeah, you kind of just take it with, like, yeah, this was 2005, and uh, so much of, like, the pop culture back then had this. Like, it, it seems like that, that language is definitely in line with those times. Yeah. It is. It is. But this one was especially egregious. But you're right. I mean, this was kind of a commentary on Americans and how we carry ourselves and how we act with other countries um, and our entitlements. So the, you could easily say the language is part of part of the commentary in this film for multiple yeah. reasons, and we'll get more into it. Yeah, you know, when, when I saw this movie was about three dudes, Americans, uh, backpacking through Europe, I thought about uh, someone we know. Someone we know. Three dudes oh, actually, I, I thought about you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't you do this? Like, a, I, I thought you went on a trip uh, to Europe with like uh, two or three of your buddies. Yeah, yeah, just for a couple of weeks. I mean, everybody okay. has, right? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever got around to that. You should, but man. It's not too late. It isn't, is it? I was going to ask you <laughs> if you like. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I feel like this was such such a popular thing that everyone was doing back then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it still is, and it always is, and it's maybe even a commentary on that trend. Yeah, I think so. The budget for this movie was $4.8 million, and the box office was $82 million, so an incredible success. It was number one at the box office on its opening weekend. The Rotten Tomatoes critic score is 61, and the user score is 53. That box office shocked me. It was like two or three times what uh, Cabin Fever made. And I, I thought people would have been scared off by like the genre this film was in. Yeah, I mean, people want to see that, especially at this point in time. I mean, a lot of film analysts have said that people had an appetite for venting, like what we said earlier, the things they were seeing on TV about Abu Ghraib and just this general tension and nervousness and fear in society. I mean, there is this theory that when people are afraid, they want a safe space to work out those fears. So when we're afraid in society, that's when we get a lot of horror movies, a lot of good horror movies that may wow. or may not specifically reflect those fears. It might be harder to trace them to the specific fears that 
uh, our society might have at that time. But sure. Eli Roth himself actually said the same in an interview on Fox News. He was like, well, in the Clinton years, everybody was optimistic and happy, and there weren't many horror movies coming out. <laughs> that explains the 90s horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, and I still haven't really made up my mind on that. It's a really interesting theory, and I think it's true in some ways, but I think there are other factors, too. Yeah, I mean, if, if that is true, I feel like we've got some good material ahead of us then, given the last few years. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's the first good news ever in a while. <laughs> um, Slovakia and the Czech Republic. It was filmed in the Czech Republic. It, it was supposed to fictionally take place in Slovakia. Uh, they were pissed at the depictions of their countries. Um, <laughs> <laughs> understandably so. Yeah. So I, Roth, I think, pissed a lot of people off with this. I bet, yeah. I, I saw that he issued an apology to Iceland for like the portrayal of that Icelandic character, but uh, never. I, I didn't see anything about an apology to the to Slovakia or anything, which is kind of funny. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> like, yeah, that seems like the wrong country to apologize to. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but yeah, I guess Iceland wasn't upset at all either because they felt like it was kind of putting a new face on like a, an Icelandic personality. Sure, Iceland doesn't seem the type to get pissed over that. Yeah, right, right. Hey, were you surprised? I I, I couldn't believe this, but the MPAA, uh, they didn't try to put an NC-17 rating on this? You know, I didn't even realize. I didn't read anything about the MPAA, but that's surprising. You'd think there would have at least been some pushback. Yeah, I think Eli Roth was expecting like to get uh, that and then like have to cut it down, but they just put an R on it, and then it was, it was fine, I guess, which is wow. really surprising. Maybe Tarantino being an executive producer on it had something to do with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could see that. He's got a lot of weight. Yeah. And his films are ultra-violent, and they just come to expect that. The NBA sure. is so subjective, it's crazy. I know, I know. Seems pretty political. Um, any th- other background on this movie? No, I think he, he covered everything I had. All right. No, nothing else for me. Well, should we uh, head into the Ohio Connection and then start to spoil some stuff? Let's do it. All right. Our first Ohio Connection of the new year comes from our friend Alex, as always, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. Swing by for a drink and some food if you're in the area. Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us, and Alex says... Hostel is a horror film written and directed by Eli Roth about a mysterious organization that tortures and kills kidnapped tourists. Its cast is mostly composed of unknown international actors, as the film was principally shot in the Czech Republic, with the exception of the two traveling tourists, Paxton and Josh, played by Jay Hernandez and Derek Richardson, respectively. Hernandez is likely the most recognizable face for many, given his prominent film and TV roles. These include the film adaptation of Friday Night Lights, 2016 Suicide Squad, the title role in the CBS reboot Magnum P.I., as well as his recurring role in the Bad Moms comedy movie franchise, alongside the mom trio played by Kristen Bell, Mila Kunis, and Katherine Hahn. Katherine Hahn was raised in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Whoa, I didn't know that. That's me awesome. Me neither. That was a treat yeah. for me to find out. I loved her in Parks and Rec. Oh, yeah. She's hilarious. Yeah. She was also in WandaVision, right? I never saw WandaVision. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, in uh, Parks and Rec, was she like the political consultant or whatever? C- correct, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's really good. She's great in that. Yep. All right. Well, thanks as always, Alex. And uh, buddy, let's start to spoil some stuff. Um, but before we do... We got some snow tonight, and I think I'd like to go out and shovel it real quick so um, so I don't have to do it tomorrow. Do you mind if I call you back and we pick this up when I get back in? Sure. Take your time. Okay, okay. Hold on one second. I'll be back in maybe 30 minutes, an hour. All right. All right, I'll call you back. Hey, buddy, I'm back. Hey, you shoveled? I'm all shoveled. It went all right, but I couldn't find my coat, so I put on my wife's, and uh, in the pocket I found this business card that says Elite Hunting. Any idea Ooh. what that could be about? 
Uh, no, but uh, does she take a lot of long vacations uh, or go on like any international trips without you? Um, for a few days? Yeah, very recently she did. And actually, you know, um, I'll have to ask her about all this, but she's gone right now. She's actually out getting her first tattoo. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm sure, sure it's fine. I'm sure it's, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's not nothing weird or anything. All right, so this movie opens with bloody shots of a torture chamber being washed while the credits run. Uh, The first act introduces our three main characters who are touring Europe for the sole purpose of hooking up with women, it seems. We've got Pax and Josh, American friends who traveled to Europe together, and Oli, an Icelander they met along their travels and befriended. None of them are particularly likable, at least in the (laughs) typical traditional uh, film canon, Uh, except maybe Josh. Um, Would you agree with that, Ashvin? I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. Even, like, I, I think that this is like the whole like for watching in two thousand five or, or six or, or watching it now, because uh, like now you look at it. There, there's a part of all of them that's like relatable and like we've all like known these type of people and uh, understand like that mentality. But um, I don't know. Like it, to me, like there it was kind of instantly like hateable. Like this is like everything that like I hate in tourists or like uh, the idea of like the the international um, trips that like college kids go on and that kind of thing. So I, I don't know if I would go as far as saying any of them are likable, but you felt like some sympathy for Josh. Yeah, I mean Josh was the one who seemed to have the most conscience and was hesitant about some of the stuff the other guys wanted to do, like oh, uh, like going in terms to brothels of, like, hooking and hooking up endlessly and stuff like that. He yeah. was like, maybe we should go to a museum. Oh yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. He he did have a, a few lines where he tried to push back. And uh, yeah, he avoids having uh, sex with that prostitute, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, speaking of prostitutes, they're in Amsterdam, by the way. And after perusing a local brothel, they are given a tip that there are tons of very attractive women at a hostel in Slovakia that will sleep with just about any American man. So, of course, they go there. And on the way there, they have an encounter with a guy on the train He makes small talk, shows them a picture of his daughter, and creeps Josh out when he touches his knee during conversation. And they're all super homophobic about this moment. Um, This guy leaves. He's just like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Leaves their little private car. And uh, yeah, homophobic slurs scattered throughout the first act of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, how people talked back then, but also particularly egregious. and, and this kind of works its way into the theme of the film eventually, too, you could say. Yeah, I know. I, was, I, I feel like uh, this whole like first half, you're just kind of like starting to build hate for these characters a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, kind of being thrown off or, yeah, it feels really gross by what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and when the guys arrive at the hostel, <laughs> there's tons of nudity, unrealistic amounts of it, but <laughs> it's meant to be over the top. The girls yeah. they're sharing their room with are topless as soon as they walk in. And they ask if the boys would like to join them at the spa. They go, and everyone's just completely naked at the spa at this hostel. Um, the guys go out clubbing with these girls that night, the, the girls that they're sharing a hostel room with. And when Josh goes outside to get some fresh air, he's accosted by a group of young kids who are going to beat him up. There's this gang of young toughs who just roam the streets. They're like 10 years old. Um, the guy from the train earlier who creeped Josh out by touching his knee happens to come onto the scene. He gives these kids some money and saves Josh from their impending violence. Josh is like, hey, you know what, let me buy you a drink because to thank him for saving him and because he feels bad about their confrontation on the train earlier. He apologizes about his behavior on the train to this dude. And this Dutch guy, the Dutchman, we'll call him from this point forward, mentions that he chose to have a family, implying that he's gay and decided to live life as a straight man. And Josh, in their conversation, then puts his hand on the Dutchman's knee. And mm-hmm. what did you make of that moment, Ashwin? Did you think yeah, much I mean, about it? I did, because I, I think like this whole time uh, his friends are asking him like why he isn't participating or like uh, hooking up with these girls. And um, he's kind of like been really reserved and hesitant to do so. And so for me, like this kind of clicked here that like, oh, okay, maybe he's like repressing something. And uh, now he's like feeling comfortable with this dude who's like talking to him about it. What were your thoughts? 
I didn't catch that at all. I just thought Josh was kind of drunk. <laughs> but then, <laughs> and you know, we yeah. all get a little affectionate when we're drunk. Sure. But then reading an analysis afterwards, I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. And on the train, the reason this guy touched Josh's knee was they started talking about human nature or something, and he touched Josh's knee and said, what's your nature? So it yeah. seems like, you know, maybe the Dutchman sensed something in Josh. Sure. And Josh, this analysis I read online, pointed out that when Josh and Pax are both hooking up with girls, Josh is almost looking over at Pax more than he's looking at the girl on top of him. Yeah, you can tell this. he's just like very uncomfortable, I, I, I thought, and like does, doesn't know what to do, and he's like, yeah, looking over at his friend. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought they... Like kind of purposely set it up that way where like maybe this is a kid struggling with his own identity or sexuality. Exactly. And it's Pax really who's using using almost all, if not all, of the homophobic slurs throughout the film. Oh, yeah. Yep. Not Josh. Not Josh, right. Yeah. Yep. So I think, you know, the theme of this film could be, or at least a theme packed into here is Josh struggling with his sexuality with this bro friend who's calling everybody an F word. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, which I think is interesting if, if people are criticizing this uh, as being homophobic because uh, th- that like feels really real. Like, as if you were, uh, if you did have like these close friends it, during like that time, uh, you know, you're on a call trip with a buddy, and maybe you are battling with these feelings. Like, that's kind of what how I imagine it would go. Is like you'd be in the company of people saying words like that, and then like trying to like you know pass or something. Right. So that that part felt kind of real. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. It adds more depth to the film and makes you appreciate, I don't know if appreciate is the right word, but understand the language a bit more. Sure, um, right. Anyway, I guess tonight is the night that Josh and Pax hook up with the girls, and Josh keeps looking over at Pax. But when they wake up in the morning, they learn from the person at the front desk that their friend Oli has mysteriously checked out without telling them. Another woman at the hostel later shows them a picture she received on her cell phone from her friend, and the picture is of Oli and this girl's friend, making it seem like the two of them left together. Um, but Josh and Pax are really not believing that Oli would just up and leave like that. Um, and they're kind of looking around, digging into why this might happen. And Pax gives Josh a little bit of a backstory about himself, which comes into play later. Uh, Pax says in his childhood, he saw a young girl drown, um, and he could hear the mother's screams and his nightmares for years. Um, and he mentions that he still feels like there was maybe more that he could have done to help. I was kind of like, this is a really oddly serious moment at this <laughs> point in the movie where all you hear is just these dudes getting drunk and like trying to hook up with chicks. But yeah. I think they're setting us up for something later here. Right, right. Um, they're kind of still on the hunt for Oli and they end up getting a picture sent to their phone with Oli's face from Oli's number that says, I go home. Uh, but when we mat, then we like get a match cut from the photo of his face to his actual face, and it is upon a severed head in a torture chamber. <laughs> um, and in that opening credit scene where we see people washing the blood from a torture chamber, we hear someone whistling a particular tune in the background, and now we hear that same tune being whistled, so we know that this is the torture chamber we saw in the beginning of the film, and Oli has just been killed here. Um, and then later that night, Josh and Pax go out to the bar with these girls again, and Josh disappears this time, and he wakes up in the torture chamber, about to be tortured by none other than the Dutchman. And the Dutchman gives him this whole speech about how he was bored as a businessman, he really wanted to be a surgeon, but couldn't because he's got shaky hands. He drills into Josh's body multiple times with a power drill. We don't see the impact, but you see the drill get set down with like bits of meat on it. Um, And we hear the sounds of Josh vomiting, see it like hanging off of his chin afterwards. And there's a moment where the Dutchman's like, oh, you want to leave? You're free to go. And he undoes his shackles and Josh stands up and his Achilles have been sliced and he like falls forward. And we see these Achilles wounds gape open a little bit. That was Um, rough. It was a little bit rough. Um, Yeah. And the Dutchman says something to the effect of, nobody's paying me to do this. In fact, I'm the one paying them. And we see him, you know, he's going to slit Josh's throat, but we cut away back to Pax 
waking up in the bar the next morning where he has passed out. And now he begins the hunt for Josh when he's told that Josh has checked out of their room, which really makes no sense to him because Josh would never do that. Mm-hmm. Does this surprise you a little bit? It seemed like Josh was being groomed to be our main character. Yeah, they took him out really quick. But at, at this point, I'm assuming he's still like alive and is going to come back into play here. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just, I, I guess I was, I was surprised by the pace of how quickly he was captured and kind of torn into already. But uh, I, I still had hope that he was coming back. I mean, did, did you think he was dead at this point? I did assume he was dead, but you never truly see the throat cut, so. Right. Um, yeah, it, it kind of cuts on the action. His, the Dutchman's hand starts to move forward um, across his neck, and then it cuts away. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's strange, because, yeah, he, he was uh, kind of the main character, and they, they had that whole backstory going with him, so it was interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Pax gets a new room now, since Josh supposedly checked them out of theirs, and in his new room, he has a bit of deja vu, as there are, again, two girls uh, undressing and going to the spa and asking if he wants to join them, exactly the same thing that happened last time. And I think this is meant to imply to the audience that maybe this was a trap the whole time and the girls are in on this. Mm-hmm. So Pax finds one of the women who they shared the room with and confronts her, asking where Josh is. And the girl says he's at an art exhibit and she agrees to take Pax there. They drive there and pull up to what looks like an abandoned warehouse. Pax reluctantly enters and, of course, is captured and bound to a chair. And there was a really effective moment here for me, Ashwin, where... Uh, they catch Pax, and the screen goes completely black for like 30 seconds, and all we can hear oh. is Pax whimpering. Oh, sure. Yep. <laughs> that kind of that got me, and again, you know, that, that brings in a little element to me of what is a distinction of torture porn, is that we really are hearing and seeing suffering. Like, we heard right. Josh puking, like, we... We heard his screams and his pleads and his begging, and now here we are with Pax just whimpering in the darkness. Yeah, it's the full experience. Yeah. Um, uh, hey, on those, uh, how they go back and they find, or how Josh finds those, um, the, the the women that had uh, kind of suckered them into this, uh, were you surprised by like how different their appearance was when once like the scam was up and like you went and found them at the bar? Yeah, that was a, an interesting moment. They clearly had no makeup on or at least less makeup than before and they were meant to look much more gritty and realistic yeah i couldn't believe that transformation that was that was wild yeah i mean i'm sure they were probably lit differently as well so it was uh it was definitely meant to imply that was a show what you saw before right right they were yeah and also did it surprise you that josh like so willingly went like got in the car with her and like went with her packs you mean this Oh, yeah, Paxson, sorry. Yeah, it was surprising, but, you know, what are you going to do? Your friend's been, like, kidnapped and you don't know where. Yeah. Um, and he, right. he asked some guy who comes out of the art exhibit, like, hey, is, is it okay in there? And he's like, you're going to spend all your money. So oh, right. So, for all Pax knows, that means it's a great art exhibit. <laughs> the best. <laughs> um, well, wouldn't you know it, a torturer comes in to torture and kill Pax, and this dude is so creepy. He seems like he's having full body orgasms at the mere thought of torturing Pax. <laughs> um, this guy was, yeah, he was wild. He was very I couldn't w- tell. If, wormy. Yeah, was was he just like really excited, or I, sometimes I thought he was like having an asthma attack or something. I don't know. It was creepy, whatever it was. Maybe a mixture yeah. of all of them. <laughs> uh, orgasm asthma. Oh yeah, the best. It's the thing. Yeah. Uh, so Pax pleads with this dude in German, but uh, th- this guy isn't having any of it, and he gets a ball gag to put in Pax's mouth, which is important for no reason other than the fact that we get this disgusting scene of Pax puking from behind the ball gag, which is really gross, and he's like choking on his own puke. Yeah, that's uh, rough. The torturer makes a mistake when he cuts off a few of Pax's fingers but accidentally cuts his handcuffs free. Uh, the torturer then slips on some of that blood, chainsaw in hand, and accidentally severs his own leg, which allows Pax to escape his rest- restraints and shoot this guy in the head. And Pax ends up hiding in this cart of bodies that are getting taken down to a furnace. And this, Ashwin, I think, was what I had in mind when you brought up this subgenre of splatstick because 
he's on this cart of dead bodies and the guy pushing it gets the cart stuck behind this severed hand that's lying on the floor and he like <laughs> tries to push forward a few times and we hear the like, <laughs> like you know yeah. <laughs> gross sounds it's a very splat sticky scene and then he tucks the hand behind Pax's head on the cart yeah yeah no that's that's gross followed and then, by like Pax and like the, the way he's like uh, grass, uh, grabbing onto like his fingers that have been cut off as well yeah like, yeah trying his, to keep them with him. his fingers like fall out onto the floor and he's like feeling around for him which Sounds horrifying, but it's played to be splat sticky, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, And then Pax ultimately makes his way to a locker room. He puts on a suit that he finds in a locker that has a business card in the pocket for elite hunting with an image of a hound dog on it, which is the same tattoo that the Dutchman had on his arm. And he has an encounter with some guy in the locker room, and this guy's prepping for his turn to torture and kill somebody, and he's asking Pax how he should do it. And that's when we learn the full scope of this, that this is a whole scheme. People come here and pay good money to torture and kill people. Americans are the most expensive. $25,000 to torture and kill an American. Uh, and, and this guy's another comedic moment here, right? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, that, that, that guy, uh, I forget what his name is, like Robert Hoffman or something. But uh, yeah, his performance there as like this guy, the, the, this tourist who's like all about it and like uh, talking about how he's going to do it. I, th- I thought that was a great performance. It was hilarious. actually. It was, it was like kind of funny, kind of sick. And it's just, it it uh, brings the themes around, you know, that this is just about tourism and Americans who have no regard for other countries or their place in the world. Um, right. And I think it's about, you know, a bit of overexposure too. The Dutchman said he was bored as a businessman. This guy's like, his exact quote was, like, I've been all over the wor- world and had every kind of woman or whatever, and he says, pussy is pussy. Yeah, um, right, right. So I think it's about people getting put, uh, wanting more, you know, like yep. wanting a more extreme experience. Um, For sure. Yeah, and uh, were you feeling like the parallels at this point between in the opening, like when they're in Amsterdam and in that hallway where like Josh is walking through and seeing people in different rooms with women versus uh, like the same thing happening here, but in a different context? I did not gather that until I read analysis afterwards. But yes, I think a clear point of that brothel scene was to make a parallel to this, this being the next like logical step after that. (laughs) Exactly. The brothel tourism, you know. Exactly, exactly. You know, and it might have even been a comment on internet culture, too. We're exposed to all sorts of stuff. People are looking for more and more extreme stuff on the internet. Sure. Um, part of the reason Eli Roth even got this idea was because he f- thought he found some, like, murder tourism website on the dark web. It, it turned out it seems like it was probably <laughs> nothing that actually was real, but yeah. it's hard to think the extremism of the internet wasn't in his mind a little bit during this. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, it, the whole thing around like yeah, de- desensitizing people, uh, you always want more and, and trying to get that thrill on what you'll pay for. Right. Um, I mean, I kind I, I of feel like this this definitely exists somewhere, right? What, what what they're showing here, dude. I wouldn't be surprised, sadly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'd be surprised if it didn't exist somewhere. Uh, <laughs> it just yeah. I mean, like when, when you when you have like that much kind of money and you've had like all all the uh, other pleasures, like eventually you're gonna get to a point where you just want to torture people for fun. Yeah, I mean, human trafficking is a huge problem. So, yeah, I, I think this, I don't know if this exact scenario exists, but it probably does. And if not, scenarios very disturbingly similar do exist. Right, right, right. So, yeah. Um. Well, anyway, Pax is about ready to make his break. He finds a car that has the keys in the ignition and he's about to leave, but he hears a woman scream. And I assume this is a callback to his backstory where he's haunted for years as a kid by the mother's screams over her dying child. And he, you know, felt like for years he could have done more to save this kid. And so Pax has to go back. He he gives up his chance to escape and he goes back to try to save this woman. Uh, and this is a tense sequence because we know that they know that Pax is gone at this point. So right. it's a very high stakes thing to go back in here. He did, finds did that- the... Go ahead. Oh, did, did, did that, like, his whole, like, uh, initial escape and, like, them knowing that he's not there and how easy it was for him to, like, get to the locker room, get dressed, get to this car, did that strike you as, like, a little bit uh, easy or unbelievable? You know, not really because I think maybe it's almost part of the theme of the entitled tourists and expecting that nothing's going to go wrong and you've got this, like, 
Yeah. Are they really prepared for one of these victims to break free of the shackles and like escape <laughs> sure. this like very remote building and go tell people? Like, um, right. Unlikely. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe they're just really caught off guard. It's just crazy because they had like so many uh, dudes walking around with like leather coats and guns and stuff. And uh, yeah, it just kind of seemed like he was able to finagle his way out of there pretty easy. Yeah, but then at the same time, the halls are filled with like screaming and the sounds of chainsaws and gunshots. So sure. who's to know what's gone wrong and gone bad? I mean, right. they'd probably that's have true. the whole area under video surveillance realistically. but Sure. And I can't remember if they did and he just found a way around that or what the deal was. I don't remember seeing a video camera or anything. Um, it, was, it was pretty low tech, uh, what they had, the operation that they had going on there. Yeah. But I mean, his cart to get on the, or his idea to get on the cart of bodies was actually a pretty good one. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a good escape. Well, he and, finds. And then to like go to the locker room and, and dress up as a tourist. That, that was pretty good too. Exactly. Right. Because there's, yeah, that's the thing is that there's. It was a poor system. If I were to run a torture chamber, I would run it differently than the way these guys did it. <laughs> yeah. Some more code words. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'll get some ideas from my wife and we'll, we'll go into business. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so he finds this woman. Um, it's a woman they know from the hostel who, who was seen in that picture with Oli. Did I say hospital or hostel? Uh, I think hostel. I'm getting all fired up. Um <laughs> He kills her torturer, and this woman's eyeball is hanging out. And he cuts it off for her, and I'm not sure why. It seems like it very well could have been salvageable, right? I don't know. Uh... <laughs> I mean, the optic nerve presumably was still there. I think there's a whole bundle of nerves there, and it seemed like they were still intact. So, And I know people's eyes can like pop out and be put back in. Oh, really? I didn't know that. They, I, I thought uh, if it was just like a nuisance, it was like dragging on her face and like she had to get it off or something. Yeah, but, uh, I didn't understand that. I, I mean, and it wasn't just like, whoops, her eye popped out from like blunt impact. It was like the whole side of her face was all gored and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah he was the, taking a, a circular saw to it when Pax walked in. Was it a circular saw or was it like a blowtorch? I, I couldn't tell. Uh, I thought it was a saw. Who knows? It was some... some uh, mechanical weapon that was not good for a face not healthy (laughs) on your face skin (laughs) not great for the ice (laughs) Uh, Uh, and yellow pus oozes out after he cuts it that was so gross man yeah i i I couldn't watch that one i had to to look away i did not look away at any point in this i'm i'm officially desensitized wow okay (laughs) good for you (laughs) (laughs) that's yeah that's that's a feat (laughs) maybe they escape the facility and a car chase ensues. In town, he sees the girls, who were his roommates, that set them all up for this torture chamber and runs them over with the car, killing them. We also <laughs> see this recurring gang of violent children. Pax uh, gives them this bag of candy that happens to be in the car he stole and bubblegum. And then when his pursuers encounter this group of children, um, they, they don't have as good a luck because they don't give the kids anything, and these kids beat the shit out of them and kill them, <laughs> uh, which is I, pretty entertaining. I, I like those two things. The, the one where, uh, yeah, he's, he, he runs over, like, basically everyone who sent them there, and then uh, the, the thing with the kids, like, that, that felt very comedic, right? It did. It did. And it's, uh, I think another commentary, you know, like understanding the nuance of the place that you're in. Oh, yeah. The like the culture, Dutchman right? was like f- familiar with it. And he's like, oh, yeah, these kids just like want something. Give them anything. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And and Pax, Pax learned the nuance and he, he learned how to blend in with the locals to a degree. You know, that was maybe a representation of that. Yeah. Good point. Yep. Um, Pax and this woman he's rescued, they make their way to the train station. But when the woman sees her eye missing in her own reflection... Uh, she decides to kill herself by throwing herself in front of the train and you get a blood splatter on the faces of women who are waiting for a train, which was another kind of comedic moment element added to the film. Mm-hmm. This distracts Pax's remaining pursuers for enough time that he can hop on a train and get out of there. But on the train, he hears the Dutchman giving the same spiel to some other people that he gave to them about how he prefers to eat salad with his hands or whatever. Uh, so he gets off the train at the same stop as the Dutchman, follows him into a bathroom, cuts his same fingers off, starts to like drown him in the toilet, and then ends up picking him up out of the water, slitting his throat, and the film ends with Pax taking a train out of there, presumably to safety and a return to his normal life. 
Any idea why he took that dude's fingers? I guess just revenge. Same fingers that, that Pax had taken yeah. off. Yeah. Was it that, uh, like, I, I lost track of if Paxson still had his fingers on him um, or if he had lost them and he needed this dude's fingers, so get, you know, for in the future if he has a surgery or something. Right. I mean, he could. Yeah, he could just be borrowing those fingers. Yeah, right, right. Um, do you know how he knew that the Dutchman was in on it? I was going to ask you that, but I, I think you mentioned uh, on the train when they first meet the Dutchman, he notices that tattoo on the Dutchman's arm, and then when he's in the locker room, he finds that business card, right, with the same uh, marking? I don't think anybody noticed the Dutchman's tattoo except for Josh at the bar once he decided to buy that guy a drink. Oh, then no, the, yeah, then that that is like a big hole. I, I was wondering that too. Uh, how, how did he connect uh, that guy with this place? But maybe Pax saw him, you know, or maybe he's he just heard the exact same spiel and it reminded him of the exact same spiel that the girls gave on his second try at a room in the hostel and thought, okay, this is all part of this elaborate setup, you know? That that could be oh. enough information for him to be like, this dude's in on it too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So, I don't know, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that they didn't uh, really tie that out neatly. Um, and, you know, one thing, another complication in the whole um, portrayal of sexuality in this film is that the Dutchman, I don't know, it could be a commentary... And I think there's been a little bit of debate in the LGBTQ horror community on this in general um, with other movies, not just this one. But like themes of repressed sexuality and that person being a like homicidal maniac. Mm -hmm. Is it a portrayal of, hey, people who are gay... Um, are just messed up and they're going to kill people and they're, they're psychos in general, or is yeah. it, this is what happens when you in a society that tries to suppress things. Mm -hmm. And if so, is that okay? Like, right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a messy thing here. Cause the Dutchman is, you know, he's like, Oh, I suppress this side of me to live my normal life. And then it's like, okay, well then that lead. Right. Could you draw the line as a viewer? Okay. Well, that's what leads him. He vents that by torturing and killing people right right and then is that demonizing gay people or is it demonizing our society's suppression and, and pressure for gay people to suppress that side of themselves especially yeah. back in 2006 right i mean i i think personally I, I look at it more as like that behavior of suppressing um or like someone having to like hide a portion of themselves is kind of turning into like uh something that comes out in, in a more aggressive way um, and I think like we've seen that in films like Saint Maud and even like uh, that's uh, that movie we just watched uh, Silent Night Deadly Night um, yeah. right where like religion can kind of play that same role too if it's like put on you or like uh, you're, you're you're kind of um, punished for certain things and and then it comes out later in like a very violent way yep. so I, that, that was kind of my take but that's really interesting so some people have found that offensive then like in terms of uh, what that might be portraying in this character Right, yeah, yeah, and I think people are just kind of up in the air. It's a, it's a discussion. I don't know if everyone knows how to take it. And yeah, yeah, I always think that's an interesting thing, too, back to that Silent Night, Deadly Night discussion that we touched on, too, with um, yeah, Catholicism specifically is where we talked about it in that episode. Right. But I always think about, you know, if you demonize certain things that actually really aren't that bad to do, and drugs. You could talk about it in in the war on drugs and in Dare growing up and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Do you then, does a person then think, I'm smoking weed, I'm a bad person who does drugs, <laughs> so yeah. I do all the drugs now? Or is sure. it more helpful if you're like, hey, weed, here's what to know about it. Like, you could do it. It, it may not be very helpful for you to do it. Like, whatever. But then here's the drugs you really shouldn't do because, like, this mm -hmm. could really lead you down a path. Right. But if right. you just blanket say they're all bad, then if and someone sees, well, hey, everyone does this, so what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah. Kind of I don't know. It, mm -hmm. I don't know if my point makes sense, but I think so. I, if I you think demonize what, a yeah. certain sexuality, then does the person who feels that way think, all right, well, I'm a bad person. I guess I'll do bad things. Yeah. It kind of pushes them deeper into it, right? Right. 
Yeah, or exchange. I mean, maybe that even in itself is an offensive thing for me to say. So feel free to let me know anybody if that is. But <laughs> no, I, I think there's that stigma because, like, I mean, the, the second you do something and you get criticized or penalized for it, then you know it's like it's not safe for you to do that kind of thing anymore. But it doesn't mean you're going to stop doing it. But you might go into like darker or, or deeper places to do it, uh, probably like in unsafe environments. Right. Um, yeah. And, and that's and so that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, with, with this character specifically, I didn't tie those two things together. That like uh, um, he was like hiding this nature. But I, I think I think you're right. I think they that was kind of maybe a metaphor. Like uh, that conversation of his on the train where he's talking about um, what someone's nature, uh, experiencing things with your hands, uh, and how that relates to his uh, need to like kind of do, participate in this uh, hobby. I guess. Right. There's some yeah. kind of tie there. What did you think of the movie? Um, yeah, you know, I, was, I think I went in uh, expecting, you know, some really over-the-top gore and being hard to watch. There were a few scenes that, that were like that night's look away. But overall, I was just really, like, surprised by how smart it was and uh, how funny it was at certain points. Um, it's really interesting because I think you start off, I, like, I hated the three guys at the beginning. I thought they were, like, typical American douchebags, uh, the type of people I would hate. Um, but then, I guess, like, the movie does this trick where towards the end, you're kind of rooting for that guy to survive which I, I thought I would have loved to have seen him get killed. Uh, so I was surprised that um, somehow I was empathizing with him and his uh, survival. So uh, that was, I, th- I thought that was really interesting. So I, yeah, I was surprised how good it was. What, what did you think? Same. Yeah, I hated the first half of the movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, then it does this flip and it turns out it kind of just makes Pax more of a complex and nuanced character. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I thought the third act of the movie, like Pax's escape, was very gripping. Like it was, yeah, smart and just very a very like well written screenplay and very well directed. Mm-hmm. Um, like technically, everything about the movie was very good. Right. Um, yeah. Really well shot. And I thought that we're talking about kind of this tonal stuff, like the, the bits of humor and dark comedy. I thought the score really differentiated the movie in that way. It it was this really big our orchestral score mm-hmm. it, it almost seemed like self-aware like <laughs> this is a big outrageous movie um yeah it's kind of like bombastic so it makes the movie feel a lot less mean-spirited than other stuff we've seen like this with similar amounts of violence yeah yeah the score was definitely unexpected and yeah it, i think it gave it a, a little bit more uh lighter of a feel That's yeah other stuff. yeah um, that's interesting that, yeah, Paxton becomes this, uh, more like complex character. What did you think when he's caught, um, it's revealed that like he's pretty fluent in German and, uh, I know like there are different price points for someone based on their ethnicity and because he's American, he's going for a lot, but he's like, you know, I, I don't look like American, uh, like, like an American. Do you think there was some commentary here about, um, like Western ideals or like, uh, something around, uh, the American identity? That was being portrayed. Good question. And maybe did Pax was Pax a survivor because he knew German and right um, a little uh, more worldly than uh, right. the other ones, right? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I couldn't tell. But it made me think that when you, when you said uh, that thing about um, how he knows how to uh, get past the kids at the end, because uh, yeah, that behavior of like kind of knowing the locals and the local cultures is kind of what saves them there. Yeah. So that's an interesting uh, dimension of this film. You know what else is interesting? I'm ta- we're talking about the score and how it seems like almost like a, uh, to me, almost like a wink to the viewer of like, hey, this is a deliberately over-the-top, big, done horror, big, dumb, like horror movie yeah. not to be taken too seriously. Um, I'm reflecting back on the moment where Pax is about to like really enter this torture chamber where at mm-hmm. the point where he still thinks maybe it's an art exhibit but it's starting to become clear it's not and the woman who led him there is laughing at him and she's just like such a serious american and i didn't <laughs> yeah. know if that was kind of a suggestion to the viewer to like not take this movie so seriously and personally oh. yeah right right but maybe i'm reading too much into that no, yeah, I, I think it, they're definitely trying to say something there about, like, yeah, I, I could see a lot of people taking the movie really seriously up until this point, uh, and, and probably past this point. Yeah. Um, 
Hey, did it bother you that there wasn't like a true villain? Uh, I mean, I know that it comes around back to that Dutch dude, but um, there were there wasn't like one bad guy in this, right? I think the Dutchman serves as an effective personification of the entire organization here. Mm, okay, and the girls. I mean, th- there were multiple villains. I think the the girls and the Dutchman serve adequately as the villains. Yeah. Okay. Especially a Dutchman with his whole, like, typical villain speech right before he kills Josh. Yeah, right. But he's not in the movie that much, at least after that point. Yeah, and it's just kind of a coincidence he comes back at the end. Yeah. I I didn't see the girls. I I know, like, they were a big part of the trap, but I also felt like they kind of fall into the whole, like, trafficking idea because, you know, they're, they're in this town, they're locals, and this is, like, the job that they could find is kind of hustling to... Uh, work for people like the Dutchman to to pull out people. So they just seem like someone in the middle of like maybe a sick system. I don't know, man. I mean, they knew exactly what they were doing, and then they led packs to the place just so they could get the twenty five grand. Yeah, but like, wouldn't you do the same if <laughs> if like because uh, you know, I mean, on, on on if you look at the equation, you got a rich Dutch dude, you got these Americans who are like pretty privileged. Then you have these people who live in uh, Slovakia. Um, who I imagine like there aren't a lot of like great economic opportunities or like other jobs or they're kind of, you know, these countries that are ruined by, uh, tourism or international policies or whatever. So, I mean, I mean, that's, that's maybe why they have to like kind of put themselves in the middle and create these ecosystems where this type of, um, hobby can be shed or some, some light can be shed on these hobbies. Like, are are they more of, are, are they more of a victim of like these, these Western, uh, more built up nations? I mean, that's an interesting point. I didn't read it that way. I think Slovakia would be pissed at you for saying that, <laughs> and as would the Czech Republic. I think that was part of what they were mad about. Like, we're pictured sure. as this horrible, declining, impoverished country where terrible things happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, that's a good point. Um, but as far as what Eli Roth intended, maybe, maybe you're right. I saw them more as a f- straightforward villain. Okay. Okay. They they get certainly get theirs in the end with being run over by a car. Yeah, I guess just w- when you see them, um, you know, out of like their costume, like when he approaches them at the bar, you see that they're really not like living these glamorous lives. They're kind of like run down and tired and poor. Um, they they're, they're not like these big like models that we, that we thought they were like these big like Italian Russian uh, tourists. So it kind of felt like they were putting on a show in order to. I mean, obviously they were putting on a show, but it was more like out of necessity. Yeah, I mean, I think to say they're poor would be making a leap. I mean, I mean, they, they I, I don't know. Uh, you, you don't think that that was like the portrayal of them in their in their like natural setting made them look kind of poor? <laughs> Just because they don't have makeup on? What are you trying to say, Ashvin? <laughs> um, well, no, no I mean, they were just, I mean, what's so glamorous about their life anyway? They're going out drinking, and here they're just drinking in a bar, like, but, during but the, the parents, daytime without makeup on. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, just, I just didn't read it that way. Yeah. But you might yeah. be right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I guess, yeah. It was, it was like a mixture of the clothing, like just having like all the effects gone. It's, it's kind of like you're seeing them afterwards like the and you realize they had been putting on this big show and this is maybe who they really are uh but yeah no for, for some reason I, I thought yeah maybe these guys aren't uh as well off as you know we kind of assumed they were before sure sure point taken um uh, yeah what else i think that also i mean we haven't said it explicitly but i think we've been beating around it that it this could also be a commentary on governments the american government specifically invading other countries and meddling in foreign mm-hmm. politics that we don't fully understand Right, right. Totally. Um, oh, the government, uh, in addition to, like, um, tourists and, and, like, how they exploit other countries. Yeah, right. I think you right. could put the, like, entitlement of American tourists onto the entitlement of the American government as well. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Anything else before we get to the rating? Um, no, I, I I thought all the gore was really well done. What, what did you think? It was very well done. K&B effects. Oh, it was KNV effects. It was. They did a great job. The the gore was really good. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's gross, but I thought it kind of added to the movie. You know this this whole third act, especially where Pax is escaping. Not only is it just really suspenseful and action packed, but it's gross. It's humorous. Like uh, it added to it. You know, um, I appreciated it. I, I wouldn't have want this movie to be 
that much cleaner. I can do without the vomiting. That always is the thing that gets me the most. But <laughs> I, didn't um, know I appreciated the movie for what it was. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize vomiting was like your Achilles heel. I, <laughs> you would think it would be the Achilles heels, but no, <laughs> yeah, it's the yeah. vomiting. <laughs> nice. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, I mean, if my kids barf or something, I'm I'm fine cleaning it up or whatever. But to see like an adult barf on screen is kind of gross to me. <laughs> I was traumatized by the Sandlot as a kid. By oh, the Sandlot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, yeah, I agree. The gore, gore looks really cool. It's really really well done. And yeah, I, I think it was like over the top ridiculous where it kind of fit the vibe pretty well. Yeah. Uh, well, zero to five dangling eyeballs finally being cut free. What do you give this? Uh, I would give this four eyeballs finally being cut free. Four dangling eyeballs being cut free. Right. How about you? Nice, nice. I give it three and a half. Uh, I think I hated the first half, so it's hard to just completely recover my rating. And uh, the dialogue wasn't very good for the most were, part. Yeah. The it, screenplay yeah. itself was really great, but the dialogue wasn't that well written. Yeah, aside there, from there, maybe a few specific parts. Sure, uh, I'm trying to think of like the key dialogue parts. I, I feel like most of the dialogue is just like these bros talking to themselves. I mean, I think that's essentially the problem. But like once <laughs> you get to the guy, the businessman's rant in the locker room and stuff like that, yeah. it gets a bit more interesting. But uh, right, yeah, the second half of the movie, there's not that much dialogue anyway. Right, right, yeah, it's just a lot of screaming. Okay, so four from you, three point five from me. That's higher than I thought. Both of us would score this movie. I know, I know. What's happening to us? First slashers and now uh, torture porn. I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, I think this movie, its reputation has grown into something that the movie, it's hard to say it isn't that, but there's a lot more nuance to it than you would think. There is. Yeah, there are a few layers here. It's definitely and like well The balanced. tone isn't the tone. Everything that happened in this movie is kind of like as I thought it would happen, but the tone is not what I expected. Right, right. I think that's where the movie feels smart. Yeah, same. Um, do you think you would check out the sequel? Yes, I, I definitely will. Okay, cool. I think I have to in order to achieve nerddom according to the nerd newbometer. Oh, how many Eli Roth films do you need for that? I think five. Does Oh, really? And he's he's directed five? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, Cabin Fever, Green Inferno, Hostel, Hostel Part 2, uh, knock knock house on the oh, clock yeah. in the walls I think there's been a couple more too okay that's all six right, right cool. there so yeah all right. so yeah I mean could, I could maybe get away with not seeing it but I, I'd better yeah if I yeah, want to call well. myself a horror nerd exactly <laughs> folks I'm also recur- uh, recurring oh my god I can't speak anymore we still have another podcast to record <laughs> <laughs> I'm referring to this spreadsheet I made called the nerd newbometer which is a a journey from nerd to noob, from noob to nerd in 500 movies. Um, so if you want to become a Patreon subscriber, you can check out this spreadsheet and see what I'm talking about. It's a path I made for myself to get to a place where I finally feel like I can be an undeniable horror nerd. Um, and that's something you'd be proud of for some reason. And that's something I'd be proud of, yeah. Right, okay. I mean, you're... You're only just kidding yourself if you... You're suppressing is what you're doing. You're suppressing <laughs> oh, no. your identity as a horror nerd. You talk to me every week about a horror movie. <laughs> That's true. You watch one, you research it. Yeah. All right, I got to go kill some people now. Stop denying who you are. <laughs> All right. Yeah, right, yeah. How are, you, how are you venting this suppression, Ash? You don't want to know, man. <laughs> it's dark. Uh, okay, well, I guess that's all we have. So if you enjoyed this episode on Hostel, please feel free to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people find our show. If you want to connect with us, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and uh, click on the social links drop-down. You'll find links to Facebook and Twitter where we post what movie we're covering next. There's also a link there to our Discord server, which is a great place to talk to other horror movie fans and fans of the podcast. We have got a really great community there that we feel very honored to be a part of. Uh, So come get on that, hang out, talk to some people, or don't. It doesn't hurt to just join and see what it's all about. Uh, You can email us, podcast at horrormovieclub.com. You can go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the big orange Patreon button to gain access to bonus, bonus content for a dollar a month. Uh, our 
logo art is done by Amy Mae Pop Art. You can go to Etsy.com and search Amy Mae Pop Art to find tons of great horror art from her. I think that's about everything. So until next time, if you're touring Europe in your 20s, stay focused on the culture and history that the continent has to offer instead of the sex and drugs. Or if you're headed there for murder tourism, uh, maybe avoid the chainsaw and use the other tools provided instead. Oh, yeah. Chainsaws are a dangerous option. Exactly. Although, I mean, theoretically, they should stop running as soon as you drop it. Oh. Oh, really? There, is At like least a... stop accelerating. It should begin to slow down pretty rapidly after you let go. Sure. There's like a safety switch. Yeah. Yeah. But Yeah, I, I mean, you, you've got to like... I've never operated a chainsaw, but from my understanding is that it runs like a lawnmower yeah. or a weed whacker where you've got to have your hand pressed down on the the throttle to, to get that thing going. But if you uh, dropped it right on your leg, you know, it'd still be spinning enough to do some damage. <laughs> but it was like sitting on the floor running at full speed in that in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a little realistic. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Enough Thanks. about chainsaw technicalities from a guy who's never used one. <laughs> <laughs>